Insights on Responsible Business is a podcast about organizations building trust, security, and resilience to thrive in an era of stakeholder capitalism. Our host is Sir Rob Wainwright. He talks with business leaders and experts about their experiences in charting a new direction to what is commercial success and greater societal impact. Our special guest today is Philip Rayner, the Chief Executive Officer of the Institute for Security and Technology, a global nonprofit that bridges technologists and national security policymakers. The IST designs and advances solutions to the world's toughest emerging security threats. Philip brings decades of experience working in technology and international security to lead implementation of the IST mission. Philip previously served as President Obama's Senior Director for South Asia on the National Security Council staff at the White House. Today, Rob and Philip will talk about the path forward in combating ransomware. Over to you, Rob. Thank you, Vaidehi, and a warm welcome to you, Philip. Well, what an interesting career, taking in the US federal government, Obama administration, now the head of a major cybersecurity institution. Well, on cyber, Philip, as we both see in our day job, I guess ransomware has become the dominant subject of concern for most in business at the moment. And we're going to dive into that world today to try and demystify it um, for, for our listeners. Demystify something that's, you know, grabbed the media headlines, I guess, over the last couple of years and, and indeed help our audience to get to the heart of what to do about it. But let me start, Philip, with your job. Tell me a little bit about that, the institutions, the businesses that you're helping and, and the way that you do that. Yeah, and, and thank you, Rob, for having me here today. It's really, it's a pleasure to, to speak with you. We at IST, you know, maybe just very briefly as to how we came about this, you know, I come out of, as you were alluding to, I come out of federal service. I was a civil servant within the U.S. government for about a decade, um, spent a lot of time at the Pentagon and spent a lot of time at the, at the White House working on the National Security Council. And one of the things that I immediately noticed upon leaving Washington and coming back here to California was that there were all of these conversations and technologies that were that were being built here in California that were not finding their way back into the conversation in the national security thought process in Washington. And so what we've been doing is as we build out IST, the Institute here in California, we've actually been trying to create a space where national security policymakers can actually engage with, with technologists and actually think about how to solve some of these emerging security threats as, as your listeners know well, as you know well from, from your long career, disruptive technologies are immensely beneficial to society, but they come with unintended consequences. And so we work with both federal governments, local governments, uh, municipalities, and then, and then a wide variety of industry actors, everyone from you know, the biggest names you've heard of down to, to the startups to, to try and create dialogue to try to create venues where folks can debate ideas and on the ransomware front by way of example about a about a year ago as we speak we were able to put together the ransomware task force which was 60 plus companies and and government departments and agencies to try to get after this this ransomware scourge it is as you said a a huge problem for just about everybody out there and and We'll come on to talk about about that at the moment, but that does sound like quite an achievement that you made because also during my career, I'm sure yours as well. It hasn't. I found this all hasn't always been easy. Of course, to bring yeah. big business and federal government, national governments together on 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 this. I just wondered, 
you know, how challenging has that been? Have, have you seen, you know, increasing momentum, enthusiasm to get involved on the side of technology, but also government? Are you seeing that? One of the things that we've really been seized with as we've been building out the, the IST process in our business model is <clears throat> I think there's a I think there's a definite thirst and desire by those who are in industry to to give as much as they can to help solve these kinds of problems. I think what we've been seized with though is the the venues don't really exist that help facilitate that. There's a there's a a wealth of engagement that's happening, but most of it's in stovepipes, right? It's siloed out. And so so how do you create a space where folks can actually get together? For sure, there are spaces that are very contentious. Um, there's going to be information that, that folks may not necessarily want to, <clears throat> to put on the table. It's totally understandable. But I think if you're able to um, create the right environment, you, you can get past some of those those obstacles that you're referring to. And I uh, personally have seen a great deal of success, not even just within the cyber domain, but we've seen this this happening in, in other domains as well on on disinformation, information operations and, and influence campaigns. Uh, we've even seen it in some of the work, actually, we've been doing a little bit further afield on, on the nuclear side of things, where if you're able to get the right people you will have folks from both industry and government who are willing to kind of move things, move mountains in order to to engender better engagement. And I do think that when it comes to cybersecurity, we've we've seen a, a almost a seismic shift in the relatively recent past in efforts to try and actually encourage that and provide resources for it so that those venues do exist. And that's really what we're all about is how do we actually how do we find the right people who can engage in these conversations? Because so much of it, and Rob, you know this from your time, there's there's large, high-level engagement that needs to occur between industry and government, but then there's those who are actually doing things on the day-to-day. -day. How do you create the venues for those people so that they can actually engage with their government counterparts? Those are the venues that we have found that typically have have not existed at scale. And so that's that's what we've been trying to build out fairly earnestly. It's really encouraging, Philip, you know, that you're saying, you know, as you say, huge thirst in business to do the right thing, as it were, to work, and you're seeing seeing that happen now, moving mountains, as it were, as you said. Um, I guess, you know, you mentioned, you gave some other examples of where you're seeing it broader, even more broadly than that. Uh, we've all seen, you know, during the heights of the pandemic or the depths of the pandemic, again, you know, very, very positive examples of business reaching out to help the wider societal cause. So that's really interesting. Maybe that's, you know, worthy of another another podcast episode for you and me, Philip. But let's get back to ransomware because, yeah. you, you know, we have seen these uptick in media stories, um, you know, recently. You know, there have been major incidents, of course, the attack on Colonial Pipeline, you know, some of our listeners will certainly be aware of. You know, that disrupted, as you know, the oil supplies in the U.S. last year. But but not just the big big incidents. Many many others, other attacks, almost on a daily basis on hospitals, schools, other parts of our daily life. You know, what's your take on this? What's behind the stories? You know, a lot of media interest is that just, you know, a passing media interest in a newsworthy issue, or is there real substance here to the impression that ransomware is now a bigger problem than we thought it has been until now? I think 
One of the things that we have to acknowledge when it comes to to the ransomware threat is that we have institutions and bureaucracies, ways of doing business that quite simply have not caught up to to where the, the criminals are. And what I mean by that is is the criminals are very adept. They're very they're they're moving quickly. They seize on business opportunities. And at the end of the day, ransomware is an incredibly lucrative business. And the bar to entry is so low for these actors to get into this that with kind of the as as we like to put it, the almost the democratization of access to these kinds of tools, the the ease with which malware and these sorts of um, really malicious capabilities can can be taken advantage of has made it so easy for so many different types of people to get into this. I think with that, with the um, facilitation that is now afforded by cryptocurrencies and the ease through which these actors can find ways to get paid, um, combined with the fact that you've got Basically, the attack surface now having expanded due to COVID and almost every business having to expand their networks out and um, figure out how to protect themselves. All of that now combined with the fact that a lot of these criminal actors really operate from safe haven where they don't face legal uh, constraints in, in, in large part. Uh, they're able to operate almost with impunity. This combination of, of elements has really made ransomware much more of a virulent threat, I think, than anyone had even anticipated two or three years ago. And it does sound yeah. like a, a lethal cocktail of, of factors that you list there. Yeah. And, you know, also we've seen the emergence of different strains. You might, you might know better than me, you know, the so-called double extortion form of ransomware, which is now in vogue, has been for a year or so. You know, it looks as if the capability of ransomware has grown to a point where now not only can it lock down systems of even very large enterprises, but also has the ability to steal the data, exfiltrate that and hold you to ransom around threatening to publish that sensitive data maybe. So there's a, a double, triple whammy effect going on. Um, so what about the actors themselves? You mentioned those, Philip. I mean, how many of the, you know, the serious ones, I mean, because, you know, forget the opportunistic ones, the, the ones that are causing the biggest harm here. What's the size of that actor community? You know, who, who are they? How penetrating are they typically? So one of the the statistics I heard from from somebody who who tracks these things fairly closely the other day was, um, in in 2020 there was, if I remember the numbers right, he had mentioned there were 21 primary ransomware actors, and then in 2021 there was as many as 58. Mm. And so what you've seen is really as again, as folks have realized how lucrative this is, they've really piled on, and and jumped into the fray and turned their their capabilities toward this sort of an extortion model. So I I do think now as as governments have begun to take this more seriously here in the US and in the UK and in Australia and in, in the Netherlands and elsewhere, Canada included, I think these actors, I would hazard to, I would assert that they know that this sort of heyday, if you will, is going to tighten and and maybe not come to a close, but it's going to become more difficult to operate it with such impunity. And so I think 
a lot of them are going to get as much as they can before that comes. And so that's, I think, in a way, probably part of the spike. I think one of the things for business leaders out there, though, to consider is that these are actors who, quite honestly, and we, and we speak to people every day who really understand the psyche of, of these criminals, um, they see this as an ever-expanding pie. In other words, if the United States were to begin to better take action against um, the vulnerabilities in these systems and make the, you know, raise the bar ever so, ever so much to make it that much more costly for these actors to engage in these activities, they're just going to go elsewhere. They're going to go to Latin America. They're going to go to Africa. They're going to go to South Asia. They're going to go to Southeast Asia. They're going to find softer targets. That's a notable feature of, of the cyber threat is such, such a global a problem. Yeah. I mean, let's talk a little, let's zero a little bit in on, on the government response. You know, are you saying that governments, the Biden administration certainly raised the volume here, raised the rhetoric and, and to be fair to that administration, you know, took it to the G7 agenda even. So who'd have thought that, you know, ransomware would be on the agenda of G7? That's, that's quite extraordinary, really. But, you know, in response yep. to the colonial pipeline, we saw apparently saw very strong concerted U.S. federal law enforcement action. It had some impact, certainly. Um, if You said if the government decide to, you know, really up the ante and go after these guys, you know, do, do, do they have the tools really effectively to do that, do you think? So this is where it gets really interesting. And as a, um, as a bureaucrat at heart, uh, I take this incredibly seriously and it's almost difficult for me to to admit but our bureaucracies are not positioned to really take this on well and what i mean by that is the argument has had to be made within national security circles within the u.s government by way of example that this is not just a law enforcement problem that this is not just a criminal enterprise and that the scale and magnitude and nature of this threat is such that it actually rises to the level of a national security risk. Now, what does that what does that mean for you know for those who are out there who may not have spent time within the bureaucracy? That means resources. That means capabilities. That means being able to turn, for instance, the intelligence community, or even the Department of Defense here in the United States, against this threat whereas those tools were not necessarily being brought against it previously because it wasn't, it was seen primarily as an economic problem and a, and a criminal nuisance. So as the U.S. government has turned its attention to this, they've, I think, very, very rightly said all tools of national power need to be brought to bear on this problem because it poses such a risk. That does not necessarily immediately equate to the bureaucracy having accomplished said uh, intention, right? That it's a huge Titanic that needs to be turned. And there's bureaucratic resistance to that. There's, there's gaps in capabilities, there's gaps in resources. And so it takes time. Well, it takes, it takes political will as well, doesn't it? Because, yes, it does. you know, the Titanic, well, it's maybe not the best, best analogy we can use, but yeah. you know, the, the sort of, that huge, uh, Titanic. Well, it's it's an enormous resource of federal government. You know, yeah. was leveraged relatively successfully against the terrorist threat, for example. That's the obvious parallel. That's right. Here. You know, when it, when it really matters to government, then 
then stuff gets done in in quite a meaningful way and 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 that depends on political will and and also an understanding you know cyber including ransomware in the end you know an understanding that this really is a national security concern not 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 a lower order priority and i guess we we're still having to make that case maybe and that's obviously what you're doing at ist so well in in through, in this case, the ransomware task force. Well, and it's, I think it, it, it takes the political will, both in the executive and the legislative branch, to, to make the decisions necessary to reallocate resources, but also change the way you're structured. I think one of the most important things here is the technologies are changing. Our cultures are, are changing accordingly, but the government isn't changing in tandem. And so we need to have a coordinated, intentional shift in how we approach this structurally, or else these criminals will continue to be able to just exploit the the gaps between our departments and agencies and our gaps between public and private. I think that's that's a huge part of, of what needs to be undertaken. But that's you, you, you referenced the counterterrorism fight. I mean, even that took years. Yeah, that's true. I think you're right. Look, interesting point you make around, you know, this, and this can't be done by government alone, of course, it's, it's, it's business as well. And, you know, at the heart of this trying to get effective public-private partnerships, um, you know, that's also a, a tough, tough fight, but, but, you know, so, so um, successful if it can be done in the right way. I mean, for business itself, though, you know, they're very often at the front end um, of, of this problem. And, you know, far and wide, big and small, businesses are getting hit by ransomware, right? And and it's, you know, the yep. 500 food stores in Sweden that were hit last year yep. as a consequence of, of an attack on on a company in the US. You know, that was 20, at the time, that's, that's closing down 20% of food supplies in the whole country, you know, so it kind of affects everyday people. And, and and different kind of companies. Um, until now, the threat wasn't sophisticated enough to hit, for example, the biggest corporates, the biggest banks in the world. Um, even that's changing, don't you think? I mean, I mean, for business leaders listening to this, in all walks of life, I mean, in all sizes of corporate enterprise, this this is something serious that they have to deal with, right? I do. I do remain convinced that the. The conception of this in in most in many businesses is that this remains a cyber risk and almost a technical risk. Whereas what we've come to understand it as is it it's a catastrophic risk, and it's one that will not only you know bring your your operations to a halt, it could bring your business to its knees in a very short amount of time and. I think one of the most important pieces of this to note is that the criminals themselves don't really care. Um, if you're in education, they they we've seen chat logs from the negotiations with school administrators where the school administrator is begging uh, for the criminal to 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 back off, and the criminal's like, "Look, we've seen your financials. We don't care if the money comes from public coffers. Give us the money." Mm. Um, they, they don't care if it's a small municipality. They, they, they really don't discriminate between... The, there are so many ransomware actors now out there. There's some who are doing the big game hunting, who are going after the, you know, the, the large organizations with better defenses. Um, mm. that, that is in part why the U.S. government and other governments need to be going after these criminal networks to, 
disrupt their activity. But at the same time, I think, it, to your point, it absolutely is an imperative that if you if you want to protect your business, if you want to stay off of the list of all of these other organizations that have been hit, yes, you need to make this a priority. It really, at the end of the day, uh, from from my perspective, and I think from the perspective of IST more broadly, is I mean, this is something that should be part of of any ESG type considerations that there should be time and, and resources dedicated to having third party assessors, having having a plan in place that shows that you're taking steps, the, the most basic steps necessary to protect your, your business and your people. I think often it's, you know, looked at as an incredibly expensive, incredibly difficult task. More often than not, it isn't. There's, there's very basic things that that can be instituted in terms of segmentation of networks, uh, just instituting things like multi-factor authentication, really basic steps that can be taken for organizations. It takes time, takes a little bit of resources and understanding. But as you know, business leaders consider the risks that they face today, ransomware will come for you if you don't raise the bar at least at least a bit to to make it more difficult for these actors to not get into your networks and not hold you. Uh, at ransom. Yeah, and the way that you deal with it at the time is also goes to, you know, a major issue around your long-term reputation and trust that you can maintain with your your consumers, your customers, and so on. So it is about, you know, you talk about a potential catastrophic disruption to services. It's, It's far more than that as well. I think what are you saying, though, if we flip it to the positive here, Philip, we might end on that perhaps. Um, you know, those those simple steps, you know, multi-factor authentication, segmentation, maybe one or two others that you have in mind, Philip, you know, what, you know the positive steps that if you do that, it, it does kind of take you meaningfully, measurably to a, to a better place. Is that right? It does. And I think... Um, a, a lot of the conversations that we have had with, with organizations is they, they may understand the risk, they may have teams that are even in place, they've got the resources for it, but they haven't actually mapped out the plan and they actually haven't gamed it to know what they will actually do at that moment. And so they get hit and everyone scrambles because they're not exactly sure what to do. They don't know if they've got the backups segmented. They don't know if they've got uh, a decision made. And this is one of the more interesting pieces that, that we've discovered through our processes. Does the leadership of an organization actually have a decision matrix as to whether or not they pay a ransom demand? And so having actually taken the time in advance, knowing that this is coming for you, taking the time in advance to to have thought through what you will do at that moment, who are you going to engage with? Who are you responsible to have engaged with? Whether it's not just your you know, your legal team uh, and your technical team, but your insurance folks and law enforcement. Do you reach out to the FBI at the moment of in order to get assistance? One of the things that we've seen is having a plan in place, having actually tested it out and gamed it out. You'll know that having reached out to FBI, for instance, early in the process may help you actually get ahead of what the criminals can do in terms of seizing up your data and or at the end of the day, recuperating any payment you might have to make. So 
having those plans in place, having actually tested them out, uh, puts you in just a much better place than just kind of hoping that it doesn't hit you. Yeah, and in my experience, is exactly right. It does make a big difference in the end. If you can get those operational essentials in place, if you have, as you say, this try and tested plan, if you're ready for that terrible day, then, you know, you, you, you might... You might manage it well enough to right. you know, to still survive at least and, and then get on with your real business. So, okay, Philip, well, you know what? I, I think that's been a, a great run around this, this absorbing topic of ransomware um, that has been in the news stories a lot. Um, it's so good to hear, you know, the very positive work that you're doing in IST, this ransomware task force bringing so many actors together in the US in this case at federal, state, local level business community as well. I wish that was happening in, in many more countries around the world. Um, it's certainly needed. It's great that we have leaders like you that are pushing pushing that agenda forward. I want to thank you, uh, Philip, for joining us today, sharing your thoughts um, with, with our listeners. Thank you so much for your time. No, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. So the term ransomware has entered the lexicon of public discourse and mainstream media in recent years. An escalating number of attacks, some of them on high-profile public targets, have made this particular strain of cybersecurity concern the most dominant in industry right now. Governments, as well as big business, now making dealing with it a top-order priority. As well they might, because behind the easy headlines lie very serious causes of concern. As an offensive cyber capability, ransomware has matured significantly in the last two years, making it a far more potent weapon to a far greater range of institutions. And increasingly, that playbook is in the hands of some of the most dangerous cyber actors operating today, including those connected with powerful states. The upshot we've seen is a proliferation of bigger, more damaging attacks on business, certainly, but also regularly on public institutions such as healthcare providers and schools. And for those that decide to bite the bullet and pay a ransom, the price is going up sharply as well. But for most organizations, this is not about money. It's about ensuring continuity of operation and more particularly maintaining levels of probity and trust. Fortunately, it's not all doom and gloom out there, as we've heard today from Philip Reiner. Effective and practical solutions are available to mitigate the threat and to stiffen both the resolve and capability of organizations to deal with a crisis when that dreaded skull and crossbones red notice suddenly drops on the terminals of a protected network. So a clear message for all of us, I think. Take those steps, protect yourself to a higher standard and keep your responsible business out of harm's way. Thank you for listening to another episode of Insights on Responsible Business. We hope you enjoyed it and will tune into our next episode. Please review us on Spotify, the iTunes podcast app, or whatever popular podcast app you're using. And find out more on Deloitte.nl. See you next time.